Hi everyone, Jonathan Kohler here with a special episode of The Surgery Set. This is outside our normal broadcast schedule, but we just got some very exciting news and we're excited to share it with you. That is that uh, Dr. Ronald Mayer, who is an attending surgeon in Seattle at the University of Washington, a former mentor of mine when I trained in my residency there, truly a titan in general surgery and trauma care and in the science of surgery, has just been elected as the president of the American College of Surgeons. That's the largest surgical governing body in America, and it's an enormous honor and one he completely deserves. Dr. Mayer visited us last season when he spoke with my colleague, Dr. Daniel Abbott, to my great dismay. I was out of town, um, but he spoke with Dan Abbott about mentorship and collaboration in medicine, gave a great talk uh, with us, and then a, a great podcast. And so we wanted to just rebroadcast that for you today, and I encourage you to uh, listen to the podcast and then go uh, take a look at his talk as well, because he is now the uh, the president of surgery in America. So great congratulations to Dr. Mayer, a very well-deserved accolade, and uh, I think we are in good hands for the next year. So enjoy. Thanks. We're here with Dr. Ronald Mayer today, who is a visiting professor from the University of Washington, who is a legend in trauma surgery and basic and translational research as it relates to the trauma patient. It is a particular privilege to me as I was a medical student at the University of Washington, and there was no larger character or individual at that institution who had an impact on so many trainees and junior faculty. And so it is a real privilege to have you with us today, and we're very grateful for your time. Thank you. So in your talk today, there was a lot of basic science related to the genomics of trauma and inflammation. But aside from that, you started by talking about how important your mentors during your residency and fellowship training were. And I would ask you, what were some of the the characteristics of those mentors that you embodied and you hope to pass along to your mentees who look up to you? As you mentioned, I, I feel that choosing mentors is critical particularly in an academic position, but in any position in medicine, to have senior people that you relate to, that you trust, and that have agreed either tacitly or openly to be your mentor are critical to your survival. My first mentor and critical mentor was C. James Carrico, who went from Dallas, Texas to Seattle, Washington with me. And uh, he was a trauma surgeon, but more than that, he was just a fantastic person who gave of himself to anyone who asked for the help. And he taught me the beginnings of what it means to be a mentor. To be a mentor means to put the mentee ahead of yourself. It's no longer what we sort of jokingly say is, what have you done for me today? It's more, what can I do for you today? And it's so important to provide the mentee what they need. Some people need to be pushed. Some people need to be protected. Some people need to be gently prodded. Some need to be prodded a bit harder. But you have to be able to recognize what will optimize that person's opportunities in their career and then do whatever you can to provide the resources, contacts, the uh, environment, the ultimate job, so that they can truly blossom and become a independent academician and star. Personally, I, I, there's nothing more rewarding about being in medicine than helping the next generation become successful because we're all here not that long and the ongoing increases in knowledge and uh, 
improvements in care are going to come from the people that we mentor. And it's just great to see them take off and be independently successful. So you, as you alluded to in your talk, and is widely known, we're a leader in the GLUE grant in this multi-million dollar effort from the NIH. And I'd be curious, and for especially junior faculty, I mean, that is a dream. That would be the culmination of a research career. Um, what have you learned from that experience about building collaboration within an institution on a national level? You've alluded to maybe you were lucky, although I suspect it was not luck. It was preparation and hard work. Um, any lessons you can pass along to those of us who are trying to do team building in the current environment? I think that increasingly it's important for success in research to be an outstanding collaborator. As you say, it takes hard work. You have to do your homework. You have to be an expert in your field of interest, whether it's clinical care, basic science, translational research, but something that you love and you put the energy and work into to become recognized as an expert in that small area combined with, in today's world, a increased commitment and search for true collaborators is, to me, the best way to find success in research. You have to bring something to the table. The best people in the world will not support someone who is not contributing to the process. But there are many different ways to contribute to the process from just the understanding of human physiology from being a surgeon, from being observant, from doing work in the field, and being able to contribute in your own fashion to the overall product. But you have to go find collaborators. The individual lab that I started with is no longer fundable, I do not believe, except in very rare circumstances. You have to be part of a collaborative that involves multi-specialties, multidisciplinary, totally separate from your own field, whether it's internal medicine to bioengineering to biostatistics to genetics, whatever the fields are that are necessary to make you part of a cutting-edge team. Uh, if you're just rehashing anymore, it's not going to be fundable. And once you find the group, then you have to be, as always in the past, creative and making sure you know all the potential sources for funding, whether it's departmental, institutional, um, a local foundation, or whether it's the NIH, the Department of Defense. You need to keep in touch with all of those avenues to make sure that anything that is viable to support your project you recognize and you pursue. So I'm not a scientist. Um, from the outside, I look and see how complex this basic science is and these incredibly smart people who devote all of their life to the genomics and proteomics and metabolomics and all that. Do you think in the current era is a surgeon scientist functioning at that level a realistic possibility? Do we continue to spend a million dollars on a startup for a surgeon scientist recognizing the chance of individual success is low? Um, I think a surgeon scientist definitely is still a viable option and potentially very successful. Uh, to the last point, how much money can you invest in that individual to get them started? 
may not be quantifiable or the traditional mode of giving a block grant and coming back in three years and looking for an R01 grant. I think it's more rather than the large amount of money, it's finding and having your mentor provide you the environment you need to flourish at whatever level you're going to contribute. As a surgical oncologist, the genomics involved with precision medicine is increasing dramatically. To do that, the genetics specialist, the genomic specialist needs the patients. They need your understanding of the clinical variability and the response to the disease so that they can have an understanding of what to do with the genomic data they're looking at. Because the isolated data is still isolated data, which can lead you astray very quickly. It has to be considered and packaged within the construct of clinical knowledge. And if you don't want to do the genomics yourself, you work with someone who can perform the basic science, but you provide, again, patients, understanding of the patient's disease, interpretation of the potential meanings of the genomic response, for example, and provide a critical component to the project. But you have to be in an environment where that exists for you and your interests. And I think it's almost become as important to search out an environment, an institution, a group that will allow you to truly grow in your interest for you to be ultimately and optimally successful. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in an institution that has no interest in your interests. So you have to find both the institution, the mentor, and the environment that you need to succeed. Uh, You spent some time talking today about the use of genomics and trauma and, and certainly personalized medicine and genomics and cancer is a hot topic. It seems that the technology has advanced so far and so quickly that that time for sequencing is really no longer an issue. You alluded to that you can, within two days, get the full genome and understand potential subsets of patients who might benefit from an intervention. Can you comment on the cost of all this? And can we, in the United States, the wealthiest country in the world, afford to do genomic analysis on every surgical patient to identify subsets who might benefit? Um, Not yet, although the cost is dropping so dramatically it's like the cell phone of the past. It cost $1,000 and now costs $100. There will be a tenfold reduction every five years as has occurred in the past. It will become, from that standpoint, feasible. When you say test every patient, it will probably never be that feasible. And I think, again, that's where the collaboration with a clinician scientist to identify the subsets that should be tested that should be studied is going to become a critical component for the surgeon scientists in these studies. You provide that insight to allow for the early screening to allow this study to become feasible and focused enough to provide data that's interpretable. My last question, you know, people who've had the privilege to work with you recognize that you, more than just about anybody else, calls a spade a spade and is very open and honest. Can I ask you through your decades of experience and your understanding of funding agencies and the pace of science, are you more optimistic or pessimistic now about 
breakthroughs and really making a difference in patients' lives than you were 30 years ago? Uh, I, I think that our ability to treat our patients is going to become dramatically improved over the next 10 to 20 years because of the new technology we have. I think that the ability of an individual to contribute solo to that effort is going to be dramatically decreased and that you are going to be part of a team. And that's going to be the team research medicine that goes forward. And so the ability to get the accolades that we used to enjoy in the past are not going to happen. But I think that the positive reinforcement and knowledge of your contributions to having a major impact on patient care and outcome is going to be stronger than it ever was because we have a lot of knowledge that's becoming closer and closer to being actually usable in the individual patient in front of you. And that'll be a major step. Thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoy the surgery set or have suggestions on how we can make our program better, please provide us with your feedback. You can rate our podcast and leave your comments on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. More comments makes it easier for people to find us. So please leave your rating and your comments. Or you can always just send us email at podcast at surgery.wisc.edu. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Veronica Watson and myself. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Alex Worley. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher, and of course you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery or at J.E. Kohler. That's K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks. We hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin.